but it won't yep. ballot. How do you ballot it? It doesn't need to ballot it. Oh, God. All right, now. Hang on. Oh, oh, this bloody thing. Hold on. Jesus. That's loose. Hold on. Now it's tight. Hold on. No, that's loose. Hold on. Jesus. You might be better off just leaning it against something. Oh, now I've turned my volume down. Hold on. Hold on. Fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God, what have I done? Hold on. Just, just, uh, hold on. Hold on. We've got six minutes. We'll work it out. Hold on. Hold on. Volume up. Start again. Oh. I think uh, Jean Felice asked today what your favourite Monty Python film was. <laughs> I just, no, no one had seen this one yet. Where's my picture? I can't see anything. What's going on? I... you got oh, to bring, bring Zoom back up. Oh, hang on. Is that Zoom? I, I think you turned the camera off. Video? Oh, jeez. Oh, gonna... No, now he's gone entirely. I don't know what he's doing. Oh, oh he's gone, gone. Yeah, he's gone, gone. Oh. Yeah, he quit. Too much. I've got to admit, oh. you know, challenging <laughs> for the elderly. <laughs> Look, at least oh. it was a good idea to hit record. Well done, because there's some good outtakes. Yes, yes. Crafty trying to use technology. Yeah. Thank God he's better at making whiskey than he is at... Well, when we hope so, right? <laughs> we, we, we don't really know yet, do we? Have you, um, have you tried Project Ian yet? No, he won't give it to me. It's uh, pretty good. The, the no. Hang on, we've got to sort this shit out because I cannot get the thing that holds my phone. You know what I like? I like the fact you advertise the shit out of something you can't even get a fucking picture on. Hang on. Yeah. How's that? Oh, hell. Oh, that looks, that might work. Can you see me? Yes, we can see. Can you hear me? Yes. We can we see. Oh, what have I done? You. What if, can you hear me? He's yeah. turned. Camera on. Hello. You haven't got your video. You haven't got your camera on. Jesus. Stop pressing screen. Oh, God. Um, Don't touch it. On. There you go. Now what? Local nerd. Where's Todd? He said he was logging on. But you just fucking he did it again. God's. He keeps touching the screen with his fingers. Crafty left. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> it's his thing. He can't even get it right. Fantastic. All right. Now we've got Todd. Hey, Todd. No. All right. He's coming. He's coming. Here, here we go. Let's try fourth time lucky, is it, with Crafty? You don't count. <laughs> you just hope. All right. That's gross. Hey, Todd. I think I'm okay. Are you sure? No, definitely not. Because I want to put my power cord in, but there's no room with this bloody um, tripod-y thing. Right. You know, no matter how rich you get, mate, you're never going to be able to buy a seat on a shuttle. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I go up. Hold on. As long as it doesn't twist. Every time I do this, oh, I've done it again. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Just lean it against something. <laughs> Surely you've got something you can lean it on. Come on. Just stick it on a shelf or something. No, 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 it's okay. I got it. 
I just don't know if my phone, it may go flat battery, so I may hey, have to. Maybe... Did you notice what Todd did? <laughs> what did you do, you do he Todd? Just up, worked. Yeah. He what? You just logged on, then it worked instantly. What did I do? You did it right. Uh, it's, it's, it's working through my phone, to be honest. So, oh God, <laughs> bloody internet's dropped out right at the last second. Ah, oh, right. Oh, it's fantastic. We, well, we, I, I, I have been recording some of these little outtakes. Oh, um, <laughs> humanizing the art of whiskey. God, <laughs> well, you're not fucking humanizing technology. No. <laughs> no. All right, Todd, so I've made you a co-host. Fantastic. So you now have the ability to um, let people in when we're ready. Okay, and delete people when I want to. You do have the finger of God and you may... Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I need it. Finger of God. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Are we seven seven o'clock yet? Do we do we have one of those ten second delays so that we can sort of stop things and go back? No, no, we don't. Oh, bugger! It's just fucking on for young and old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the one. All right, let's do this. Well, oh, there we go. Well, we don't actually have anybody watching yet. We have no oh. guests. We have oh, no guests. Oh, who's showing off? Did you set the right invitation, Crafty? Did you, set the right, did you send the right link? I hope so. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but anyone else, so. I sent the Zoom link that you sent me, but maybe it was the one that Todd and you and I practiced with. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, because no, I used that one to get in here, so it should be all good. All right. In theory. In theory. All right. Wow, oh, look at that. Little goldy strips. Isn't it beautiful? I can't see it. What can it's, I see? Hold on. We will... Um... It has to say something. Oh, hang on. No, i got to change view. Hold on. That's hard because that means uh-huh. sharp at some point in time. Oh, that's that's very... Oh, we very... do have one. Lee? Okay, I'll admit him. We've got okay. someone. Yeah. We have one person. Great. <laughs> Our inaugural watcher. Yeah. Kick it off. Where's Lee? Lee. Maybe Lee should get a prize for being first. Uh, Yeah, maybe. He's got a sly smile there, but not much else. (laughs) Well, do we want to just give people a couple more minutes? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And Uh, um, I might try and put my charger in and hopefully I don't lose everything. Oh, please don't. Oh, God. Hey, you watch. He's going to he's going to pull him and disconnect himself, and then it'll be me. And I've got no questions. He's only, he's only done that like four times already. Oh, has he? Yeah. So, oh, we got two now. Who put some bloody headphone jack on that side? That's ridiculous. Hold on, I want it on this side. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, welcome to the chaos. Yeah. All Thank right. you for taking me first. You got no idea. Hang on, I can, oh, Jesus, I'm gonna tip you. Hold on. I think I figured out why he made me first. All right, I'm gonna take it off. The I don't think he likes me. The pod. Hang on. <laughs> oh, this is scary. This Ooh, is scary. Lord Bird, Luke to everyone. Hang on, this is scary. 
there I can see it now. I see what's going on. Right, so get in there. Right, so that should mean I have power. Oh, hang on, maybe I can just leave it like that. No, I can't. No. Oh, 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 don't don't stuff around with it too much. I've tried. Uh, we we've go. got to be vaguely um, professional and all that sort of stuff. Who said that? Me. Oh, no, I've done it again. Oh, no, I have it. No, no. No, you're right. right hang on. I'm just, it's a balancing act. Oh, my God. Here we are. It's about the slitter's roots there. It's not we're, that hard. We're appealing to, to you, your high-end customer base here, mate. You know, this, is what, this is what it's all about. I need a whiskey. That's what I'm on. Nice. Well, what are you on? What are, you, what are we drinking tonight? So... Uh, Oh, Bakery Hill. Okay. It might be backwards, but this is what I'm drinking tonight. Jesus, well, you opened Yeah, right. Awesome. Are we live yet, Luke, or not? We're, We're recording. recording. Oh, good stuff. Oh, no. The symphony number one, which is almost gone, by the way. Is it Mark, uh -oh. or is that something else? Oh, don't start. Don't start. Oh, look, it, it's got Lark on the bottle. I find it very confusing. <laughs> well, look, I was going to drink this, but... No, uh, no, you're not allowed to drink your own shit. I'm not allowed that. And then... That's the rules. Then, you're going to get cut. Then I was going to drink this. No. No, that's not the rules either. drink something that was good. So... <laughs> I'm going to be cracking this. Oh, okay. Oh, Riverborn. Okay, yeah. good. It's too Riverborn. I mean, I figure that he's so grumpy, he must make good whiskey. So. <laughs> right, <laughs> should we start this? Because otherwise, oh, please. we're just going to be amongst ourselves. All right. That's lovely. So, um, Luke, you're, you're recording so we can put this on a YouTube channel in the future? It's so recording, it's not funny. Just start oh, good. He's been recording your disturbing behaviour from the start. <laughs> that's it. I've, I've been recording since you dropped the oh. uh, the camera the second time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of outtakes for you. All right. Up later on. And All I right. don't think black and white is going to make it any better. No, no, not this time around. Okay. All right. So, are we going live? Mm -hmm. When? We okay. are live. Go. Yeah, I've already. You may now speak. Oh, we're live. We're live. Okay. Welcome, everybody. And how many we got? One. No, we're, we're up to um, five so far. Five. Okay, five. Awesome. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming. That's, that's filled us full of cheer. Someone's just <laughs> left. <laughs> that's a good start. All right, guys. So, yeah, welcome to Australian Craft Distillers. Uh, shooting the shit. This is um, something which started as a bit of a, a brain fart of an idea that moved rapidly to execution, which I do have a tendency to take brain fart ideas and, and run with them. Uh, some good, some not so good. Anyway, um, so this one, yeah. And the, the idea behind it is um, there's a lot of Zoom, Facebook Live chats out there and a lot of people are getting interviewed left, right, and center. And I thought to myself, and I talked to Todd and said, mate, we could do this ourselves. We, we could talk to 
Australian craft distillers and we could have a conversation distiller to distiller, uh, which would be a different take. And so took the idea and put it out to a few distiller mates. And um, within 24 hours, we had uh, 24 distillers. Mm. So it was like, holy crap, maybe we do have something here. So we took that and it's gone beyond that. So now uh, I've gone, well, let's talk to anyone who helps us put our stuff into a, into a bottle. So I've got uh, Cooper's lined up. I've got Molster's lined up. I've got designers that, that we obviously work with, with design on, on bottles and that. Uh, I'm going to talk to water suppliers, going to talk to raw material suppliers, and we'll just see where it goes. Uh, based on what I'm seeing so far, I think we've got enough content 2021, 2022. We'll see how we go 2023. It's just going pretty viral. One cool thing too is um, talk to a few uh, Facebook um, distiller mates overseas and they're dead keen to get on and shoot the shit with us as well which is pretty exciting I've got um, Waterford Distillery lined up and there's a lot of people asking about Waterford, excited by Waterford in Ireland I've got uh, Alan Bishop from Spirit of the French Lick in the US, uh, really awesome guy, very creative, all about the craft and a one weird 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 guy he's, he's got he's got some great ideas um then a couple of other u.s distillers and a couple of scottish things happening so the idea behind it is it also gives australian craft distillers a bit of a voice that we can tell you our stories you know tell you what's going on behind our brands you know the, the people behind it and um show you how we we operate as as a as a group um, we're a very, very small group, Australian craft distillers. Um, we tend to share information. This is what I believe anyway at, at this stage and historically. We'll see what happens in the future. Um, but we, we, we believe in the, the, the Bill Lark philosophy of a rising tide floats all ships. So we're better as a whole to work as opposed to tear each other down. Um, I came from a competitive teardown industry um, and I know Ed did as well uh, from OCD and I know others as well. So we love the fact that our industry is not like that. We get to connect with the people that buy our product at a very personal level and share our experiences. So that's enough for me rabbiting on. This is an interview series. I'm not going to be doing all the talking. I, I want to sort of take a Graham Norton type approach on this sort of step back. It's conversational and give people space to, you know, say what they, they want to say. And uh, hopefully we'll have a bit of fun on the way, which I'm sure we will. And but we are going to tackle some tough questions as well over, over the series. So I want to tackle um, mental health. Um, you know, we're in COVID. It's been a difficult time. I want to cover pricing, Australian pricing of whiskies. I want to carry the stratification of the Australian industry. And this is not just whiskies. This is... Australian craft spirits. So we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about the gin revolution and the, and the exciting things that are going on in Australia. So um, now we're going to have a chat with a very good friend of mine, uh, a guy who likes to ring me up on a regular basis and just tell me, oh, just how many litres of alcohol I'm producing. And 
oh, how little alcohol I'm producing because I'm inefficient. He's a good friend. He is part of uh, uh, brother and sister combination of OCD, Otto Craft Distilling, based in Sydney. Um, he's a wannabe crafty mentor and uh, he's working, he's working his way to that. He's working his way to that. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Edward or Ed as I know him. Ed, mate, how are you? Crafty, there we go. Virtual cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, mate, Love cheers. Very well, mate. Very happy to be here too on this uh, first auspicious occasion. Yes. Uh, yeah, this will turn into something much bigger than you had anticipated. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's looking great. I think the response is fantastic. And I think the response starts to show that your beliefs in the Australian craft uh, industry in terms of sharing information and wanting to uh, spread the good word, as it were, uh, is true. And, and that spirit is there, which is always good to see in, in, a, in an industry that is as young as ours. Yeah, you're right. It's a very, very young industry. Um, I mean, I, I look at it as there's, there's waves of people that go through, you know, the, the, the craft Australian industry. And it started with, you know, the legendary Bill Lark um, and, and then Casey Overeem. And then you had people like uh, Cameron Symes who came through. And then there's the next wave, David Vitale and, and, and others. And so I'm, I'm sort of, I think I'm in the, like the fourth wave maybe, but I think we're up to about the seventh wave of people coming through in this industry. What do you think? What's your take on it all? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It, it, is, it is ways of people coming through. And I mean, it's developing into new and new and interesting ways people are doing things. And I think we're seeing that innovation come through. And we've got, you know, where we've got, uh, I guess, that first wave, there was a lot of similarities in what they were doing. Obviously, Bill's influence on those things were massive because, you know, I mean, and thank God that in 92, Bill, for whatever reason, decided to make whiskey and start to change the... Uh, the laws and legislation that allows us all to do it today. Um, but people are starting to challenge what the norm is and, and in terms of how they do it and the type of stills they use and how they even ferment or, you know, mix different flavours in and all that sort of thing, which is becoming really interesting. And, you know, I like seeing posts where people are saying, I'm making this, this thing. Uh, they give a loose description of it and it's like, what do I call it? Because yeah. it, it quite often is a new category. It's not. Uh, whiskey or vodka or gin uh, or rum or brew uh, it's it's something else and and that's really cool but at the same time it's very challenging in, in terms of trying to get that into the market and educate people um, of course I like you have a passion for, uh, for whiskey uh, which is where it all sort of began really well it's it's funny you say that I um, I started with whiskey and whiskey is definitely you know, where I'm at, and I was totally, totally opposed to making any sort of white spirits. It was like, no, I don't drink white spirits, so why would I want to make a white spirit? Um, but I, over the years, have developed a, an appreciation for white spirits, right, white spirits. I do particularly love Australian gins, I, and I've, yeah, I'm an avid gin lover now uh, to the point that I'm making gin now with some fantastic help from my gin mentors, Nick. G'day, Nick. Ali, g'day, Nick. Karoo Distillery. And if you haven't tried Karoo Distillery, you definitely need to. Um, 
And that's exciting. Um, if you put whiskey to one side and you just look at the, what's going on with gin, just the, the range of botanicals and the unique botanicals in Australia that you know, gin distillers are using. If you take that and you take it across other white spirits, you're right. It, it's, it's an exciting time. You know, there's so many things that are going on. And in Australia, we don't have a huge amount of regulation and restriction controlling what we're doing. So it's a time for... It's the time for innovation. It's time for explosion and just create new shit, which is what you were just talking about. No, definitely. Definitely time to challenge the status quo, which is good. Yeah. Right, let's talk about back in the shed. Back, well, look, this is where I'm, at, I'm under the garage. Are you, are you there back, now? Back where it all began. Back where it all began. So when I went to Ed's shed, uh, I couldn't stand up straight and because I whacked my head. But, you are slightly taller than me, so I am slightly taller, slightly taller maybe. And Ed um, was distilling on a very, very small still. I remember seeing a couple of hundred-liter barrels actually. And yep. Ed was—you walk in and you go—it looked like a, a home distillery operation, a very, very good home distillery operation. However, it was a legal Australian—not illegal, a legal. Australian distillery. So Ed, you were legal. You were making stuff. You were you were making stuff before others were making it in Sydney, mm. and you were using some malts which uh, others weren't using. Um, so yeah, give us a bit of your backstory from the start, mate. So yeah, so I got the idea of um, making whiskey probably just because I, a bit like you, got too excited one day about um, about the brown liquid and and uh, started to have a look into what. Um, I guess what it would take to produce it in a, in a top line scenario. Uh, I then started to get a little bit more technical and started to have a look at, you know, what, what do you really need to know if you're going to make this sort of product? You know, what, what is the background to it? Let's have a look at alcohol past being a consumer or a bartender and not so much into a science, uh, scientific look, but I guess it is a bit of a scientific look and really understand what it's doing and, and how it operates. So, I went out and read some very boring books, uh, Book of Alcohol, um, and I then started to research what really happened in the distilling industry back way before, so before we, we, we sort of really knew about it. So I got on some really interesting history blogs and, and bits and pieces about it and had a look at you know, how, did, how did ferment used to work, what was it, um, you know, and I do love the stories of monks that would basically praise the ferment barrels because obviously God was converting their liquid into alcohol yeah. um, and sort of sort of went through the, 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 this process and then came to the conclusion that it was definitely something I wanted to do. Um, so I called up the ATO and, uh, and asked the lovely people there, and they really were. Uh, the person I dealt with, she's since retired, um, asked her what I would need to do and she asked if I had a business plan. Uh, I asked about a format they wanted it in um, and uh, she said yes. And given my, my work history, so just to you know, understand, I've got a bit of a corporate background, uh, it wasn't really hard for me to throw that together. So I was able to negotiate with them pretty quickly in terms of actually getting my garage bonded, uh, which was great because that then meant I could do things properly. And the whole thing under the house was done really as a proof of concept in terms of this was to see uh, could I do it. Uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't coming from ground zero. You know, I'd made beer in the past, um, uh, like proper beer, not beer out of a can. <laughs> Um, and uh, make wine and things like that. So I had a good understanding of 
you know, the cleaning and that sort of thing that was required to do it and how ferment worked, but not specifically to a, a single malt, which is really where my, uh, I, I guess, my, my love of whiskey is from. Um, you know, single malt, single barrels, car strength, um, all that sort of quite exotic stuff is, is, is what my, my passion was for. So I then went about um, having a look at what, what am I going to use? So I sourced grains from who was available. Um, and no offence to anyone who has it, but I, I got a whole lot of different ones in and I tried and I was mashing. Uh, so under the house, I had a 180 litre pot, uh, which is great big stainless pot. Um, and I had a big four burner uh, uh, burner underneath, uh, very Euro style, as it were, boiling water. Um, and obviously we had some lessons early on about cooling uh, wort and things like that and filtering it. And the, the, the local uh, fabricators became good friends as I got different bits and pieces made to, to make this journey a little bit better. And then I started to realise that, you know, really getting this mash down at the start was probably one of the, the, the biggest challenges I was going to have. So I, I spent quite a lot of time, you know, well over 18 months, really just working on different mashes, learning how to grist properly, you know, how big it had to be. And then once I had that, started playing with different yeasts um, to see, you know, the impact they would have on the flavour and, and what that looked like and how long I was going to ferment for, what temperature I was going to ferment for. And was I going to be like beer and, you know, hold a low temperature or was I going to be like the, uh, some of the crazy people out there who just let it go into the ambient, uh, which is what I ended up doing. Um, and then I started putting it through the still and, you know, Again, when you're running it through the still, you're, you're, you're looking at different configurations. And those of you who are lucky enough to come out to the distillery, you can actually see the still that I used. And I can show you, well, it's, it's quite easy to see how I could change the configuration of the still to, to give me different, uh, different outputs, whether height, pressure, temperature, all that sort of good stuff. Yep. Uh, so I started playing with that. But as much as it was coming out and you know, I was getting alcohol, which is always a humongous thrill, when you go through all this effort, because when you're hand mashing, uh, as as crafty would probably aware, um, you know, from gristing to boiling water to cooling that down as much as you can to pitching, to it finally fermenting to getting into the still, it's a long process, uh, and it takes a long time and a lot of hours that people don't really appreciate, and um, you know, you, it comes out of the still, so you get alcohol and it's like, oh, this is fantastic but it never really tasted right to me. Now I had other people who were trying it and they were telling me, no, no, it's, it's good. Uh, it's good. But for me, there was something missing. And if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it properly because there was so much effort going in. It was like, well, it, it's not worth, uh, not worth this unless it's really going to be something I'm particularly yeah. happy. So I then, uh, I, I then started to look at where to get grain from. And I started calling around thinking, well, surely I can just buy grain from a farm. Uh, somewhat harder than one would think, actually. Um, and then I called up uh, the country areas, and I, I think I got through to some women's association uh, out in the country who put me through to Stu and Brad. Uh, Stu and Brad own Voyager Malts, and I've had a really long-standing relationship with them. It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, so I'm under the house. Uh, I don't know if you can imagine my house. It's 25 metres from my driveway to my garage door. We have quite a large front yard. Um, and uh, Stu, I gave Stu the specs of what I wanted in a, in a malt in a barley, uh, and he said, well, "We've got one. You know, we can try it." He said, "But you need to have, you need to buy a ton, uh, so 40, 25 kilo bags." And I was like, "Well, uh, why not? Right? Let's give it a let's give it a crack." Uh, so on a hot summer's day, it got delivered. I was about to go to work in a suit, and the truck dropped it on the road. 
so after a hard hour's slog back in the shower, new suit and off to work, I came home and started to play with this new grain, this new latrobe. And, uh, and it was amazing. Uh, straight away, I could tell when it was gristing, the sweet smell of it going in into the mash, uh, it was different. It, it smelt different. It tasted different. It was smoother. Um, the conversion was better. And admittedly, you know, I had spent a lot of time already, so I was getting better at doing it. Um, and then into the deal, it went. I, I then had the fortunate uh, accident, uh, as it were, of someone who used to work for me. I was talking to him, and he actually used to work for Grain Australia. Um, and he started to then teach me about graining and grain size and what that all meant, uh, which yeah. was great. Gave me a whole lot of questions to go back to stew with. So what I started to find out was that it's not just the quality of the grain, but it's also then um, the sizing of the grain and what happens to it starts to affect it because when you're malting it, um, so I'm assuming we've got mainly whiskey people on, so most people know what malting is, but for those who don't, uh, you take a, take a grain, wheat, rye, barley, doesn't matter, uh, and after it's, after it's been harvested, it gets dried, it then gets laid out and it gets wetted. And when it's wet, it starts to germinate. And this is always the classic picture you see in Scotland, a guy walking with the rake behind him. Uh, so essentially what's happening is the, the grain thinks it's in the ground and it's starting to sprout. Midway through that process, they stop it by drying it, knock the tails off it, and we now have malt. Uh, so we've changed what's inside it. Um, so the, 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 the stuff inside is a little bit different, which means that when you go through the mashing process, it is slightly different as well. So if you're using wheat uh, or unmalted versus malted, obviously there's some different things you need to do. So th this really started to show me how good this product was that I had, that, that Stu and Brad were really specific around uh, the sizing of the grain that they were using, which meant that when they were malting it, they were doing a, a really, really good job in, in providing this great product. So a little bit of a John West situation. You know, it's what you reject makes it the best. And this got me on to um, really looking at what was Australian in terms of what we get uh, into our product. And I hadn't really formed, I guess, the, the entire basis of us because we are violently Australian in terms of where we source our materials from. Uh, admittedly, there's always things that we can't get in Australia, but yeah, where we can, we, we definitely will. Um, and it, it took us down this path. So long story, we started to develop the product and for several or for three or four years under the house, we, we, we were making the, the new make. Uh, and, it, and then we got on to actually barreling it. So we had the new make at a point where it was ready to go in a barrel. And uh, I thought it was good, but I wasn't 100% sure. Because the problem is, when you read your own writing, it's hard to see your own mistakes. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. Or, or, or that. Sorry? I said other distillers will agree with that. It, it's, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter what you learn, what you're, you're taught, you will make your own mistakes. And um, it's actually, you and I have talked about it, it's an important part of the process to, to own your own mistakes and, and learn from your mistakes. So just on what you were talking about briefly about uh, alcohol yield. So you know, currently I'm, I'm around about seven and a half percent beer wash. That, that's, that's what I make and pretty happy with that. Uh, but I remember my three years and going, come on, come on, what's going on? Come up and, about seven percent. You know what it's like, you know, it, the whole whiskey process, if you if you start with a, a shit beer, low ABV beer, it, it just 
filters through the whole process to you, it, you just your yields are shocking and you're not filling your barrels as, as you need to fill them so yeah. slight question but uh yeah just for those that uh, don't understand that we chase abv but we also chase flavor and sometimes you do trade off the abv to flavor um, that's another aspect of it too isn't it yeah, no, look, it is. We um, we run our mashes at 9.5% ABV. Here we go, 95 9.5%. It's gone. Yeah, come on, keep going, keep going. But part of that is, is repeatability. So, you know, we, we are a, a commercial product and we do vodka as well as uh, whiskey and it all comes from the same stuff. So it's single malt vodka, single malt whiskey. Um, That's quite important. unique. That's, that's very unique what you're doing there with your vodka off uh, malted barley, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 A little bit different. A little bit different. So, and it's, it's important that from a flavor perspective, it is consistent from the start. So the, the mash is the same. The ABV is the same. Uh, the ester development, all that sort of stuff is the same. And then when it goes through the still, there's a repeatability. So the cuts remain the same. Um, yeah, it really, really has to be has to be the way. So, as I was saying, we we had the new make um, almost ready to, to rock and roll, like I thought anyway. But I wasn't one hundred percent sure. And I had a uh, I had a mutual friend of ours over for dinner, uh, Reg. Um, Reg. Hey, hey guys. Yeah. So just one question's coming from the the panel outside. Yeah. How many laos is that you guys are talking about? How many laos per ton? Or how many laos is your is what you're producing? Oh, at the moment. At the moment, nine percent. Oh, at the moment, the current iteration, we do about a hundred liter barrel at seventy percent ABV a week, uh, plus about a hundred bottles of vodka at forty four percent, seven hundred ml. That's our current. Uh, that's our current production. That's what we're currently sitting at. About two thousand laos. For me, laos per ton. I need a calculator. I can never remember. And I always, no, nah, I, I hate that. Sorry. I'm doing loud. I feel uh, I'm targeting 3,000 litres a year, which is nothing, I know, at, at Caskable. So I'm casking about 64-ish. So anyway, carry on, Ed. Sorry. So, yeah, so Reggie came over. Uh, we had a really good night that night because we drank one of his bottles of um, aged moonshine. Um, but we, uh, he tasted it and gave me that reassurance that the, the flavour profile was 100% uh, bang on and stick it in a barrel uh, and don't change what I was doing, which was good. So we then had um, a really good uh, basis and, and repeat. And then really from there, it was about how can I process over and over again to make sure I've got it right. Uh, but we had to be able to see, could we do it larger? Because I was mashing in a 180 litre container. So by the time you put the grain and everything in and you're really going, you're actually getting out about 80 litres of wash, um, and it's not uh, its not a huge amount, uh, especially with the time it takes. So for me to do an 80 litre wash uh, to get into ferment, to get into the still, was probably taking me about 12 hours. Um, so in terms of time and output, it wasn't working very well. So we knocked on the door of our good friends at Dad and Dave, uh, which is a brewery over in uh, Manly, and... Uh, we, uh, we engaged them to use their equipment to make a thousand litre wash, uh, which was which is absolutely brilliant. And Dave was extremely hold patient. On, hold on, does that mean you went from a brewer to a beer boiler? 
would you would you would you like to comment on that or, or? No, beer is something in particular and i i get where you're going with this uh and i feel it's a personal uh, attack on me um there's actually if marty pie was interesting i'm waiting for yeah, him to pop i'm drinking the grumpy old man stuff for god's sake i mean he should yeah. be happy. And he's um, not even here. Here, Riverborne, this is what we're drinking tonight. I mean, I, I made it with him, so I don't really consider myself a beer boiler. I think there are levels, though, and it's yeah. not beer. It's, we'll, it's we'll, we'll talk about that later on. But hang on, let's just pause, pause for a sec and just say what everyone's drinking because the idea of tonight is everyone's got to be drinking an Australian craft spirit doesn't have to be whiskey just the craft spirit so starting with todd in the corner what are you drinking mate corowa corowa and what is yep. it it is the single malt cast type uh, french port nice. slightly heated oh yes yes i've tasted that that's pretty awesome what about you luke what are you on mate local nerd i've uh, just finished my bottle of lark uh Symphony number one. All right. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. Now, oh, no, there's a dribble. There's a dribble. Fantastic. So, and what, what's on? What are you having after that? It's a long night. It, it, it's a very long night. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It depends on how many, how many times you drop the camera <laughs> as to whether I need something else stronger. Uh, it's very professional right now. I, I'm very... <laughs> Ed, what are you drinking, mate? So... I was, I'll do this again just because it was here. I, I would normally be drinking this, but um, get that, get that, get that get off. That out there. That's not uh, crafty. Said I couldn't drink my own. That's a plug. So I was gonna, I was gonna drink this, but but then crafty said no. That's a plug as well. Pull him, pull him. He he said no. You have to drink something good. So oh. uh, I'm drinking this. <laughs> nice, nice, terrible, oh, terrible. I know. That's um, it's actually it's probably the most expensive whiskey I've, Australian whiskey I've bought. Um, this is a stout cask, uh, Bakery Hill. Um, really, really interesting. Really enjoying it. And yeah, uh, very good stuff that one. And we'll be drinking it. When Todd comes back to the shed. We'll probably polish that off. Yeah, unless you drink it all tonight. No, no. Well, no, I can't. I'm actually working. The still's running yeah. right now. Oh, okay, okay, good. Hey. Hey, Paul, would you like to um, unmute yourself and ask your question so you get it right? We've got a question, have we? Have we got a viewer? Yeah. We, we got do a viewer. have a viewer. Hey, Crafty. <laughs> Shandy here. Who is it? Sorry? Shandy. Can you oh, hear me? Oh, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, my question was about the, the, the Lals per tonne. Uh, looking at your yields, so the Lals per tonne is the only way to tell you how much alcohol you're getting from the barley. The ABV yeah. depends really on the amount of water you're adding. You add more water, you get a lower ABV effectively. So do, do, how many lulls per tonne do you guys get? Right. You are asking a really technical question. And seriously, I don't know. I'm still, how can I put it? My, my yields in the last six months have improved dramatically. Um, just a few tweaks in the way that I'm doing things. So I haven't actually sat down and done a, a calculation, but when I do, Shandy, I'll let you know, mate, definitely. Okay. But I'm improving, but I, I am using um, base malts. So I'm using uh, specialty malts, so it is lower yielding for sure. Um, 
but it's uh, punching some big flavors as well. Yeah, I mean, I basically say I use for each run I do, I, I use uh, 400 kilos of barley. Yeah. And when I do my wash run, I just work out how much, how many lulls I get, and then use that lulls, uh, and then work out how much barley I've used to get lulls per ton. So it's very simple calculation to do. On a wash run, I'm doing about 60, 60 lulls now. Um, okay. That's for a 900 liter wash run. So I'm, I'm way better than what I used to be. But I'm not up to Ed's standards, who's the... What was your ABV on your beer again, Ed? Nine. No, we're 9.5 is what we... It's big. It's wash. You're a... Just so good. So, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. All right. Have we got any questions there, Todd? No, that's the only one so far. So All right. Keep going. Crack on. We've got, got a few viewers. Apparently, someone's drinking beer, though, which is a bit sort of disappointing. Uh, put them out. Put them out. Cut them out. Cut them out. <laughs> beer drinkers. Not allowed. Uh, maybe it's an Australian beer. We'll let it go. That's right. So, um, yeah. So we carry on and where you went from the shed to where you are now, which is very, very different operation. Yeah. So, um we, we uh, amongst all this, I was sort of working on the still uh, in terms of what would be larger, um, yeah. and really working on a redundancy plan in terms of making sure that the still I was using here wasn't going to go to waste, that I could then use it again in iteration. Um, so the, the next still, which is a 400 litre still in capacity, um, was designed around uh, the output uh, partly that I was going to get that allowed yeah. me to continue using the 70 litre still uh, with the six plate column on it. This, um, to me, is kind of important because I don't like to waste equipment. Um, I want stuff to be, to be used and reused. And I know in some cases it sort of turns into research um, stuff and all that, which is, which is great. But we, we weren't really at that size or we weren't going to be at that size to do that. So for me, it was really about making sure that I could use it in, in, in the next size. It was also then about designing a still that was bigger, obviously 400 litre capacity, but it was going to uh, still do uh, the same flavour profile I was getting out of this 70 litre still in its various iterations. Um, and that, that's really important. And it comes down to that consistency again that, you know, I've, I've made this product uh, in the garage and, you know, people had, people had come and tried it, people like yourself and, and some other whiskey people uh, and other people had tried the new make and, and given really good feedback. But that was also going to go to waste if, um, you know, you, you change it up and all of a sudden it doesn't work. So the first, the first point was that I needed to, to be able to make the wash bigger. Um, so we did that. So we were able to transform this 80-litre at-a-go wash um, up to this 1,000 uh, litres at-a-go. At um, right. And we were able to put that through the 70-litre still and get the same result, which was great. And it was very exciting when I got my first 1,000 litres of wash. I was like, it was huge, right, and far easier to do than the 80 litres at a time. The only problem I had was that I then needed to get that thousand litres through this 70 litres still, which it clearly took <laughs> ages to do. So there was a long nights, long nights and lots of doubling up. The, the other problem with the smaller still was it's a direct immersion. Um, and, you know, I was getting a lot of, uh, a lot of burning onto the actual element. So yeah. I spent a lot of time cleaning the still out. Uh, thankfully, the pot of the still is 314 stainless. Uh, which meant that it wasn't that hard to clean. I could be pretty brutal in cleaning it. 
but the tower being full copper uh, was fine and it wasn't really copying it. It, it was okay. Um, so yeah, within the path though, spent quite a lot of time designing new steel, learning a lot about pressures in, in, in steels and vapour and how fast it comes up and all that sort of stuff. And then also looking at things like, you know, what's the line arm made out of, you know, is, is it going to be copper or is it going to be stainless and the, the impact that has on it. Uh, and then different cooling systems. You know, we, we run with shotgun uh, condensers um, versus worm tubs and, and what that does. So a lot of time spent looking at all that sort of good stuff. But led us down the path basically to, to have a, a 400 litre still uh, that has a, an eight inch choke point on it. Um, then it opens up into an onion that's about half a metre across uh, and into a two inch uh, 314 stainless steel line arm into a shotgun condenser that's all stainless steel. Um, and based on the, the sums and the conversations with various people, it meant that this should replicate the same flavour profile as what I was doing before. Um, so it was quite exciting the day we eventually got it hooked up and able to get some, uh, some wash in there to see what it was going to do. And uh, had a slight moment of almost getting religious and it, uh, it did which was really, really good. So based on the same formulation in the cut. So one of, one of the things we do too, uh, which is a little bit different uh, to others or some, I'm sure what everyone's doing, but we actually cut the head. So we take a head cut. Uh, obviously we calculate the, the methanol content based on the ABV uh, that it comes through. And then we take a cut. But being that we're distilling in a natural environment, we're not distilling in a vacuum or a temperature control, um, your, your your first lot that comes out isn't the highest ABV. Um, so obviously some other stuff's coming out with it as well and it's not a perfect cut. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say early on, I was super paranoid about um, methanol. It was, a, to me, quite a scary sort of a thing and I didn't like it. Uh, so I was going to do whatever I needed to do to make it make it go away. The yeah. other thing I was really aware of is, you know, we're in Australia, we're, we're not going to age whiskey um, really for the 40 years that they are going to do it overseas, it's going to be a lot shorter. And starting in 50 litre barrels, um, you know, that, that ended up being 30 months is what we find is the magic number for us. And you'll see it on most of our 50 litre barrel uh, whiskies, uh, which we put the, the age statement uh, on every bottle. Uh, we put to the month just because it's, um, it's readable. Uh, we work it out to the day, but that, that's just a stat that we keep on our spreadsheet. So, the, you know, knowing this, we, we wanted to make sure it was. So not only do we take the head cut on the first run, we take a head cut on the second run as well uh, before we actually make our new make. Um, and we don't play with it. We don't add water. We don't bring it back down. It comes out what it is. And it comes out usually between 69 and 71% ABV, um, weather depending. Uh, so so some barrels, just... just uh... Slow you down there for a second. So you're going into barrels at what? About 69, 70%. Yeah, 69, 70%. So the very high, isn't it? I mean, a lot of a lot of people, including myself, uh, are going in around about 63 to 65 for no other reason than it's really the, the Scottish way and, and haven't really played around with it. But I know that there's people going up and yeah, in 70 and there's people going down in the 50s and filling barrels. So... It's really interesting. So what's, what's your take on why you go in at a high ABV besides uh, barrel efficiency? What's the other reason for it? Well, I heard what you were doing, so I thought I should do something different. No. 
<laughs> Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> no. So we, what what my research showed me was that we were obviously going to get a, a faster maturation or supposedly a faster maturation in Australia. Yep. So the re reasons for that sort of sit behind the fact we have high uh, fluctuations of temperature during the day. Uh, obviously, the timber responds to that. Uh, we also have some variances in terms of high-pressure system, low-pressure system. It's going up and down all the time. So this is going to speed it up. By increasing the alcohol content, essentially what we're trying to do is we're balancing it out and we're slowing it down. So for the most part, it's kind of the water that does the work in terms of pulling the sugars and the, the good stuff out of the barrel uh, and, and the colour, and the alcohol tends to suspend it. So what we found is that it works as a really good balance uh, in giving the result that we're looking for in the time frame that we want. I mean, the, 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 the challenge with oak is that, you know, we, we want to age the whiskey in oak, but we don't want the whiskey to taste like oak. Um, as soon as it yep. starts to taste like oak, it's, it's quite yeah. a put like Chardonnay from the early 90s, which I don't understand why we ever drank them because they're not very pleasant. Um, so it, it is that balance, and I find it, it gives us that. Um, I mean, if we could leave it in there for longer, we would. But the reality is that we really find that where we are over that time, we've extracted what, what feels like the maximum uh, flavour profile from it yep. without it tipping into tasting like an oak barrel. Um, and and a, lot of the, a lot of the barrels have come out like that. And interestingly, even the, the new French oak barrel, which was only lightly toasted, um, which really came from a concept of looking at how did whiskey used to be before we did all these wonderful things to it, before we charred them and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, me thinking of me dressed in oldie clothing, going into a corner store with a flagon, you know, to fill up the thing from the, from the barrel. Um, really, uh, you know, what would that taste like? Um, so we found a, a really good vineyard, of uh, Cooperage in France, Dammy, and um, we were able to uh, get one of their barrels as a trial, and uh, and it was great. It worked really, really well. And I think the the other thing that worked well from it was that the um, because we were taking the head cuts and we were removing those volatiles early on, we yeah. weren't for the barrel to to do that. So because the barrel wasn't doing it. Uh, we'd already done it. We still ended up with a really smooth tasting product. I mean, yep. it, the, the colour of the new French oak was actually darker um, than the colour of the charred bourbon barrel that we, that we did, which, which was sort of a bit bizarre. It didn't really make sense that a barrel that had been charred was going to be lighter than, than one that was, you know, fresh off the, off the rack, as it were. Yeah. Um, a really great learning in that in the flavor and subsequently we've put down more new french oak barrels that are lightly toasted <laughs> really good hey, um, a yeah. we got a couple of questions come in have we or comments yeah something about the abv going up and down yeah what right. yeah we've got a few kicking in here all right let's hit us with some questions then okay so how do you how do you track your stock being aged yeah, you, um, you mentioned you've got a spreadsheet. I was just wondering how complex is that spreadsheet, and what are you, what are you tracking? Um, what What are we looking at with it? Yeah, I'll say this to when, you, Ed. When you're keeping it, when you're keeping records to the day, 
Oh, yeah. Um, so we're looking at really what we're looking at is what, what any changes are within the barrel in terms of what the losses are. Um, obviously, you're measuring it on weight uh, and then what's happening with the ABV. So in, in terms of ABV, we find that there isn't a great variance in terms of the entry and the exit. Um, it, it tends to be about the same. It doesn't fluctuate much. And I think any fluctuation that's in there is almost explainable, um, you know, from what's been absorbed or something. It's not a great deal. We are, we are looking at the losses uh, in terms of it. I mean, you, you do lose. And obviously, when you have uh, hotter, colder, warmer days, then clearly it's going to speed that up and you're going to lose um, more product uh, from the barrel, which is sad. Um, it's terrible, actually, but it's it's the nature of the beast. Uh, but it, it um, yeah, we, we find that that doesn't. So really what we're, we're looking to track is what the changes we can record are. Uh, and they're, they're, they're pretty consistent. So the first six barrels that we've released, uh, and I did see someone ask a question before about whether you can buy it. Um, you can have a look at the bottle shops we, uh, we sell at. Uh, we've sold out. Um, some of them still have some bits and pieces floating around, but there's not a great deal out there. Um, so we, we found over the six barrels that there is a high level of consistency in terms of what's happened, which again is really good because it shows us that what we're doing is consistently producing a product that's giving us the same end result. So it becomes quite a, a, a reliable uh, outcome, which, which I think is really important for, for us and for the consumers because they want to know that they're getting something that is always similar i mean ultimately for us because we are a true single malt in that we literally use one malt uh, which is the trove um and because we do use single barrel uh you know what needs to be the variant in the flavor is the barrel um and, and it's what makes it interesting so so when do you, you have play, a do you have a single spreadsheet with like barrel one yeah test one, test two, test three with the, the results in there? Or like how yeah. detailed are you getting with, because there's no way you could remember all of those barrels. Oh, yeah. No, it's all on a spreadsheet. So I, I just to note at this point in time, I am the opposite. I, I like data. That's yeah. why. I, mean, <laughs> I wish I had data. I, I am the opposite of crafty in that uh, when I put a bung in a barrel, uh, it's there for good. Um, so <laughs> typically, if I'm putting a 50 litre barrel down, um, I will check it at the two year mark, at the 24, 24 months mark, uh, knowing that it's going to be about 30 months. And that's just to really check that it is going on the right path and nothing uh, deceivious has happened that I need to be aware of. Um, when we're talking about a 100 litre barrel, our 100 litre barrels will be down for about three and a half years. Uh, and we will check them at the three year mark to make wow. sure headed in the right path. Uh, prior to that, we will not open the barrel. Um, there is a 200 litre X rum barrel from Trinidad Tobago there. Uh, that will be checked at the five year mark. And there is a 350 litre X cognac barrel uh, that has uh, not been recouped, not been recharred. And that will be at the seven year mark. Um, Ed, to- I re- Ed, I reckon you've got big ones of these balls because to go that long, and not check a barrel. I I work on the basis of one year, and that's quite hard sometimes, isn't it, Todd? But um, oh, yeah. we try and go at least one year because after one year, you've got a good indication which way the barrel's going. But for you to leave it so long, 
That's probably yeah. why your yields are so low, Crafty. Yeah. So, 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 just, so just raising that then, Yeah. Um, to both of you, how do you think climate affects um, your yields? Massively. Yeah, massively, massively. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got, um, you, you've got, you've got two parts. One, you've got a temperature fluctuation um, throughout a day. So uh, from cold to hot, hot to cold, um, the timber itself, the pores in the timber will open and close. And I mean, you know, any, anyone who's got a wooden door uh, at the front of the house will understand uh, how humidity will, will make it swell up and, and shrink back again. Uh, and the door will jam. It's no different to a barrel. I mean, barrels are, you know, they're, they're a natural product. Um, the other part is you've got variances in, in the actual pressure that's in the atmosphere. So high pressure days, low pressure days. Uh, obviously, in a high pressure day, the barrel will fill with pressure because uh, it will seek to equalise with what's around it. Uh, and then the next day, if it's low pressure, then obviously what's inside is then going to seek to equalise, going to push out through the barrel. And you, you tend to see this in the barrels where you see a weeping coming through. You see these beautiful um, caramelised sugars coming through the, the staves and they smell, um, they smell fantastic and do um, really, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like the hint of what's coming um, for, the, for the products. I mean, it's fantastic. So that's, that sort of all works into it. So and do you have a sneaky lick of that? You're like running your oh. finger underneath the barrel and... Jam. It's, it's called jam. Whiskey it's jam. It's fantastic. <laughs> you can't not do that. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the joys of being the distiller, of being able to get in and do it. So that, that definitely has an impact. I mean, if you compare it to, you know, distilleries that are in areas that are just cold all the time, <laughs> um, clearly they're not going to have these pressures on it. Um, and the other, the other part too is we're, we're running smaller barrels. So, you know, we obviously have some larger barrels, but for the most part, it's 50s and the majority are 100s. So when you look at the ratio of liquid to timber, it's a lot higher in a smaller barrel. So therefore, the impact that what's happening on the timber is going to have more impact that's on the liquid uh, as a percentage. So that's where you're going to get more losses uh, due to atmosphere, due to where you are, and due to the size of the barrel that you're using. The, the flip side to that is I don't know that, um, you know, running five or 600-litre barrels would, would work that well um, in, in Sydney. I mean, someone could prove me wrong, I'm sure, but, you know, when you sort of look at it, that would be an incredibly large timber, a lot of surface area, having a lot of pressure put on it from these changes that are constantly happening. So, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. But, yeah. I think, Ed, I, th I think you're right about, uh, you know, your, your climate definitely has a, has a huge impact. I'm at, uh, I think, about 850 metres above sea level, and we got the central plains. And so we get a lot of storm fronts that blow off the central plains, and that changes your, your pressure. You know, your, your low-pressure systems come through, that changes the pressure in the barrel. And you actually do see the barrels stress and strain with, with what's going on. Oh, um, I'd say is right now in the last, I don't know, probably last four he's weeks. shit's and walked out now. Oh, he's given up. He's given he's up. Given up. <laughs> Elvis has left the building. I had a technical problem. I just <laughs> had to fix it. But thank you for highlighting. <laughs> well, I got a still running, which I'm oh. still running. Um, yeah, so, I hope so, you're not doing anything important. 
the last the last six months, not six months, the last couple of weeks, I've noticed some variation in barrels. Certain barrels are starting to show some signs of weepage, where during winter, nothing. They, they were tight as. And now you know, I've got a bourbon barrel. Um, it's a, actually, it's a Jack Daniels 150-year anniversary barrel. It's into year two. No sign of weepage at all. And now it's just starting to show some weepage. So I'm thinking through summer, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, that one. So, yeah, you do see absolutely climate makes it makes an impact for sure. Yeah. On what... Okay. But let's, let's change the subject completely. All right. Let's... There's another question then. Um, well, let's do the question first then. Go. Okay. Do you find that ABV increases or decreases over the, the aging period? Uh, for us, we see very little variation. Very little? Yeah, very I, little. I go up fractionally and go down. It, it, yeah, I pretty well level off just below where I put in generally. Um, if you talk to Blackgate, talk to Brian Hollingworth uh, two and a half hours down the road, um, you get a different picture altogether. Um, so, again, it's, yeah, it's all related to your location and where you're at for sure. Okay, and what are you finding? And what are you finding? Your angel sharers. Yeah. What are you, Ed? More than I want it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the get pissed off after one and a half percent. I think the last time I looked at it was about seven percent on a barrel. Uh typically five to seven percent a year. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which We're isn't not... um, look. I mean, that's that's not a a bad number. Um, really, and, and it's not unexpected. I mean, when you research and you have a look at, you know, what people experienced in the past and what it looks like, uh, I think, to be honest, we're probably, I, I thought it would be higher um, given the, the variations and the size of the barrel. Uh, I'd expect that the smaller barrels get a larger loss uh, yep. as to the volume uh, and the bigger barrels tend to have a little bit less. Um, in saying that, you know, we're, we're not playing with, with any of the barrels, the size um, that the, the Scots are. Uh, you know, we're really with those 50s and 100s and just having the occasional, I mean, to be honest, the, the 200 litre uh, rum barrel was just that um, we got it into Recooper, um, just fell in love with the bloody thing and thought it was quite amazing. It just felt wrong not to at least fill one of them. Uh, it's, five, it's five brothers all got converted into uh, into 100 litres. And, you know, someone offered me or showed me that I could have a 350-litre cognac barrel. Um, so I got that and a 114-litre uh, brother of it that has been recouped. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's they're, they're like little passion projects within the distillery um, that I just got a bit excited about, um, you know, having this really cool, cool barrel and when you see it i mean you see a 358 x cognac barrel i mean they're, they're a piece of art they're, yeah. they're they're made amazingly well they're, they're absolutely gorgeous so uh yeah i didn't didn't want to let that go <laughs> i don't know how many will do with that size but we'll see how we go <laughs> so let's let's talk about um the other side of ocd a completely different side of ocd so talk about your sister uh, Julie, yeah. So Julie's my business partner. Yeah. Uh, her background is in uh, corporate fashion and beauty. Uh, so she's been uh, CEO of, of fashion and beauty. So Matt Cosmetics, Peter Alexander, um, all that 
sort of side of the business. So she very much brings that marketing side to it um, and those sort of uh, connections, which is a slightly different way of thinking from the standard liquor, I, I guess, uh, background, which is good. Um, I'm, I mean, we loosely describe it as I'm inside the bottle, she's outside the bottle. Yeah. Uh, works quite well. Uh, yep. And there needs to be some sort of split in terms of the um, the role in the business. I mean, I yep. don't but I would do particularly well with someone telling me how to distill. <laughs> um, so, so it's probably a better way of doing it. But uh, yeah, we've got well. It's good. It's good. So yeah, so, we'll, we'll grow the business with that. Take, take it back to the beginning, then. So, you're a brand new distillery. You've got some product. You think it's good. You know it's good because you've had people who know their whiskies and and not just whiskies, because you do other spirits as well. How did you get it out there? How, how did you convince people to try it, number one, and number two, pay the price that you needed to continue doing what you needed to do? So we, um, so we did, obviously I've got a background in liquor, so we didn't come into the business uh, blind in terms of uh, what it is and, and Julie had connections as well. So um, when, when we did the, the first barrel, um, and we did the first lot of vodkas, uh, we went into on-premise. So the goal of the business was really was to gain um, some level of understanding from the on-premise side of the business, which really would then sell it for you because you've then got some relevance into the, the non-on-premise side of the business. Um, we were very fortunate in that we were able to use our contacts to get to see people. So um, Gasoline Pony up in Marrickville was actually with the first, uh, first place to stock our our product, uh, Fiona. loves yeah, Fiona loves locals, uh, yeah. which was brilliant. Uh, and it was absolutely lovely to, to have someone who wasn't necessarily a venue that we would look at um, in terms of the pricing of our product, um, but, you know, just saw the passion that was happening in the distillery, um, ha- has an appreciation for fine liquor, um, and was super keen to get it behind the bar. And I'm pretty sure... Half of what she bought was for her bar at home and half was for the actual bar. Uh, it was great. So, so yeah. she was the first one. The, the next day after that, we actually met with Tucker in uh, Key. Uh, so he looks after the bar for Key and Benelong, um, two restaurants, uh, obviously, in, in Sydney. Um, and Tucker has a, a very good knowledge of whiskey uh, and a love of Japanese whiskey. He really loves his, his Japanese whiskey, which was brilliant. Uh, we went there. We got a meeting. Um, we sat down and I had a sales pitch ready to go quite long and extensive because, uh, you know, he was, he was going to buy it before I left. As far as I was concerned, uh, I poured the whiskey, he tried it and he said, all right, I'll take it. And I sat there and went, yeah, but I've got a whole speech. So you need to hear it whether or not you want to. <laughs> or not. Uh, so so that, that went particularly well. And, and we really found that this was a story that happened again and again as we went to different uh, to different venues, was that really based on the quality of the product, the way it presents um, and the story we were able to give them about it, um, they were on board with doing it. We then, uh, we then offered to take the teams into the distillery and show them how we make the product. So yep. one, one of the images of, of being where we are uh, and being the size we are, is that it's easy to come in and you can smell, touch, taste everything. You know, you can you can taste what wash actually tastes like, what it is. And 
you know, depending on the day, you might actually taste it mid-ferment while it's bubbling, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful to drink. Uh, you can taste what, you know, low vines taste like. You can smell the head cuts. And then you can actually taste the the the, uh, the new mate before it goes into a barrel. Um, yeah. yeah, partly novelty because it's, the ABV is so high and it's all a bit, a bit of whatever, but also create an understanding that, yeah, you can actually have this product that has an ABV that is quite high, but at the same time is, is quite drinkable and surprisingly smooth. And and a lot of the time it sort of opens our eyes up to, to what distilling really is and how it works. Yeah. Um, and that that overlaid with the story of how we make it and our suppliers and and all the, all that really good stuff that we do, um, sort of sort of got it in there. So, I think I think the, the the quality and 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 what it is sort of overcame price. And I mean, look, we, we didn't bring out we we didn't we never aimed to bring out a product that was um, you know in the mid tier market. We were always aiming for a premium product. Uh, it's what we wanted to do because that's where we want to be, and that that's what what we want to represent and we want to represent, you know, well, really, I mean, where, where the story went, we really want to represent, um, you know, Australian produce and specifically produce from the Riverina. And I yeah. think it's produce. So, you know, trying to make it cheaper wasn't really the option. It was really about, we're going to make it to taste and mm. it's going to cost what it's going to cost. Uh, and that, that's where the pricing lies. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a formula that works and it's a formula with all our products. So, Again, you know, the vodka is a single malt product. Uh, we do a coffee vodka and we get the coffee from Morgan's uh, Coffee uh, and we do a cacao vodka, which we get the cacao from Zococo Chocolate. So Dean and Michelle own Morgan's Coffee and Zococo Chocolate. They're in Emu Heights because apparently it sounds better than Emu Plains. Um, it's a, they're, they're a lovely couple and they are very much about sourcing ethically. So they go to, you know, all these crazy places where coffee and cacao is grown. Uh, and they make sure that the people who are growing it are doing it properly, they're doing it ethically, uh, they're doing it sustainably, and they actually pay fair price. Um, they're not trying to rip people off. They're making sure that they do it. And, you know, Dean goes to some places for, for coffee where the entire load might only be a tonne. Um, that's their whole crop. You know, so right. it, it, every, every uh, gram of it becomes, you know, uniquely important when you only have this small amount of coffee that you're then going to bring back into Australia. Um, but to secure that, obviously, he has to make sure he's paying the right price because otherwise I'm not going to sell it to him. So, you know, aligning ourselves with people like that really um, comes through the product. So if you, if you taste the, the coffee or the cacao vodka, you know, we, we, we're, a, we're a real coffee hit and we're a real chocolate hit. And we're not so much a Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate, but more your, you know, 85 um, uh, cacao uh, chocolate bar. and. Yeah. And, and that quality comes through the product. I mean, yes, there are cheaper ways of getting coffee and there are cheaper ways of putting, um, you know, the chocolate into, into liquor. But yeah. what we wanted to do was, was to have a vodka, not a liqueur, um, so as to allow people to actually play with it uh, yeah. and make it as sweet or not as they wanted to. But that meant that the, the products going in had to be of this quality because the flavour is so present. Uh, it's not hidden with anything, you know, there's no, um, it, it's not like it's a brandy that's then been flavoured with something. So there's not this odd sweet backing or anything like that. It, it's very much up front. And then that led us into doing uh, the two botanicals, Lemon Drop and 23, where we use Anthea uh -oh. teas. Sorry? 
No, it wasn't me. Carry on. Carry on. You no. just glitched a little bit there. Oh, oh you got to... Todd. Uh, 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 no, don't know. Todd, are you there? Might no. be me. I thought we had a question. Might no? No, no questions. No question. Oh, it was just a cough. Okay, carry on. So, um, yeah, so we did the two botanical vodkas. Uh, we used Anthea's tea. So Anthea is a naturopath and a team maker in Paddington. Um, she met Julie at a party. They hit it off really well, so they're really good friends. Uh, and again, we sort of got into it. And Anthea's sourcing techniques are similar to ours in that she's about paying fair price. Um, she's very much about sourcing Australian products where possible first. So, you know, with the exception of 23 that has juniper in it, um, it's still technically not a gin. Um, you know, obviously the juniper is not from Australia, but the other products uh, in it are from Australia and they have been sourced ethically and, right. and make sure that fair price is paid. And it's sort of become quite a part of the business. And I guess, you know, the question is, you know, how do you, how do you sell it in based on the price? Once people start to understand what goes into it and the fact that the business is actively supporting Australian agriculture with what we're doing, you know, and that, that's with the malt through Stu and Brad, um, that you know, we're paying in such a way that we're making sure that the farmers can actually look after the land and grow the land uh, you know, and grow the, grow the crop in, in the best possible way. Um, it, it really does uh, ring true with them. And I mean, especially if it's a restaurant you know, where they're trying to buy produce for themselves and they're trying to understand that, you know, they, they can relate to that. And, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to have a look at what happens to the price of grain to sort of scratch your head and think to be a farmer must be absolutely horrendous because, you know, you can go from, you know, $600 a tonne to $100 a tonne. I mean, but your land doesn't magically make more grain. Um, no. But how hard you work, it definitely does change. So, you know, for us, making sure people are getting what they should means that, they can actually farm in a way that is that is ethical and that means they're not going to absolutely rape the land, uh, which ultimately means that we will always get back a better product, which means we can produce a better product. Um, so there is a real cycle in terms of the economics of it. And, and for us, it's important. Yeah. There, there's, there, you know, there are other distillers that talk about the land and the farmers and, and the connection and, and how important it, it is to us. Um, and the more you you get into brewing, distilling, you, you just understand how it's so linked and, and how important it is. And so those relationships are absolutely essential if, if, you're, if that's the way you're going with your business. Uh, if, if you're... You're trying to produce, in my own opinion, you're trying to produce a, a craft product. You need to know where everything's coming from to make that craft product and have a connection with all parts of it. It's, 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 it's part of the story and, and you know what it's like, mate. Uh, everyone now wants to know more and more about what is in the bottle. Um, and the more, more you can pick up a bottle and go, okay, I made this and I use this grain and this was my mash bill and these were my temperatures and these were my barrels. People love that. And it's, it's an absolute point of differentiation against the big end of town. You know, um, you, you can pick up a bottle of whiskey and go, uh, I see the label and I can get on the website, but 
I can't do much more than that. So I really think that's a strength for us in the small end of town in, in Australia, you know, and that's the idea. Part of the series is to, is to get it out there and, and get people telling where, what they're doing, what their angle is. Yeah, look, I completely agree. And I think it is. And I think it is, it is that transparency. I mean, we are, and as you know, with the exception of what yeast we use. <laughs> we, oh, by the um, way, everyone, uh, if you'd like to just post a question, what's the yeast profile that Ed yeah. uses? He'll gladly answer it. Ed won't tell you. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're transparent with everything we use. I mean, we, we, we show people the botanicals we put in. We show people the coffee. We show people the cacao. Uh, we can show you the grain if you really want to. Um, you know, and, and where it's from and who actually grows it and, and all that stuff. And I think what's what's interesting and uh, unique for us, I guess, because obviously coming from corporate, is that we know or have met all of our suppliers at uh, uh, one stage or another. And that's, that's a really um, interesting kind of relationship to have. I mean, you know, we get our bottles uh, screen printed down in South Australia. Um, you know, we've been down there. We've actually had a chat to them. We've met the guy who owns it. Uh, we've met the people who do it. We've, you know, had a drink with the guy who actually does the screen printing machine. I don't know what you call it, thing that puts it on. Um, you know, and, and that's really cool uh, because when they're doing our bottles, you know, you can tell there's a lot of care taken uh, and they've met us. They know us. Um, they've drunk our product. You know, they, they've been involved with us. And that that is... A really good way, I think, to build a business mm. uh, to ensure that you have, a, you know, a great consistency in in a product because everyone's rooting for you because they know you and and they want you to. And you know, the one thing we don't do is we don't ask our suppliers for discounts. We don't go out and try and push their price down because we understand that they have the same overheads we do. They have the same concerns we do, um, and we want the best product that they can give us not the best product they can give us at the time for a price. Yeah. We want to be the best they can do. And that's yeah. what they for us. And I think they really appreciate the ethics in it and they understand that. And it follows through to the product. I mean, we get, um, I think the vodka is a classic example of, you know, we, we get people coming into the distillery, um, you know, to try whiskey, um, and they leave with a bottle of vodka as well, even though their opening statement is, oh, I don't drink vodka. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, we get comments like, oh, it's like vodka, but it doesn't burn. It's like, yeah, I don't, don't really think vodka is meant to burn. <laughs> but but it, it comes through because of what the base product is it's coming from. I think if I made it from something else, if I made it from less, uh, in terms of the product, if I made it from a cheaper product, then it, it wouldn't be as good. I mean, I'm not a magician. I'm a distiller. I can't make something that's, not a great product to begin with, a great product at the end. What I can do is I can take a great product, um, you know, that really is something wonderful that's been made in the food bowl of, of, of Australia yeah. and, and transform that into a great liquid um, yeah. that people can enjoy, whether that be vodka or whiskey. And that's, that's the goal, you know, is, is to create that level of enjoyment and that level of sophistication. Yeah. Well, one of the things which I really love about... Australian craft spirits, the movement, because it is a movement really, is a lot of us are doing different things. A lot of, a lot of us are going our own, own road and trying different things. And so there's a uniqueness. There's not a uniformity. Um, it's not like you go to, for example, 
uh, backwards in, in Victoria and you'll have a whiskey and then you'll taste the Craftworks whiskey or you taste an OCD whiskey. They're all different. Uh, your yeah. vodka is totally different to the boys down the road, Mobius Distillery. They're on a different path that, than you. Uh, gin, you know, where do you start with gin? I mean, God, there's so many different styles of gin out there. And it's exciting. It's, it's creative. And I think the people that, you know, buy the, the products hook into the energy, excitement, passion, and experimentation and creativity aspect of it. Yeah, we, we put a following that way for sure. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And things like what we're doing now, I think is, is good for the industry as a whole. You know, we'll all get our stories out there. Now, before we go any further, I see Ali is uh, there. Ali's a good supporter of us. He, there he is, there he is. So, Ali, what's in your drink, mate? What are you drinking? What a stroke. Oh, crap, it's one of mine. <laughs> he didn't read the rules. <laughs> You're drinking craft work. What? What are you drinking? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm drinking Batman. Oh, Batman. There you go. Very limited. Ellie, and and, and, Ellie, and mixing mate. up with... Uh, hey. Good, 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 good. Mate, yeah. you've got a you've got a, a ton of Australian whiskies out there. Go and get something which is not Craftworks and not OCD. I'll leave it behind. He's drinking good stuff. It's all good. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out two of my my my, my favorites. The, oh, the, go for the, it, mate. Australians that are favourite. What do you got now? Go Where for. Is Where is he? I can't see him. Just find him. I've lost him. Can't I'll, I'll just I've just left to go grab him. He's he's got to go into the forty foot room. That's his whiskey collection. Oh, that's a scary room. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Young. Youngie's on. Youngie's on. He's not Austin. saying much, but he's on. Julie's on. Valero's on. Hey, Valero. Hey, Michael. I see you there. Victor. Cool. Paul. <laughs> hey, we got, that's not bad. I thought we'd only have two people. We're doing okay. What do you got, Ellie? Show us. Where well, is it? My, my favorite distillery of the time being is um, 7K. As people tasted this, I'm actually a massive fan. They're down Tasmania, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They wow. did, they launched recently. Sure. And, um, carry carry on, Ellie. Sorry, mate. No, you're right. Um, I won't try to pronounce this. I think it's Anthropocene. Oh, that one. Yes. Yeah. That's Peter Goddard. Yeah. Yeah. Top um, top top whiskey, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But so both of those have been sort of crowd favorites for, for the new releases that have sort of come to the market. Awesome. Awesome, mate. Mm. And um, what about our, our friends down at Five Nines? Gin, who they've released their first whiskey. You tried theirs? Yes, yes I've tried theirs. They're, they're, they're quite nice. Awesome. That's yeah. good. That's, that's good. Okay. All right. Um, so let's, let's change the conversation a bit. Let's, um, let's go the direction of, so Ed, you make white spirits and you make brown spirits. So whiskey, obviously, you're very restricted by what you've put down you know, years ago. Uh, but white spirits, you're, you're less restricted. And you're quite innovative in what you're doing with your white spirits. So um, not what you're doing now, but what do you think you could be doing in the future? What's, what can you talk about secret project-wise? Nothing. <laughs> well, that was a short conversation. That's the end of <laughs> so we've we've already got no, it's not. We've already got um, uh, formal variants uh, that are there. You're right. 
we we we've done some testing with that have come up really really well. Um, they taste great, and and they all they all have a home. I mean, a lot of a lot of the spirit, the the white spirits. The goal is to have a beverage that you can drink straight, you know, on ice if if that's your way, um, yep. with a really basic mixer, but one that can also be used right through to to a to a cocktail that, that that's quite complicated and and and, and interesting. Um, and this is one of the things that's working really well with the bars, um, and one of the reasons they're they're really liking the the, the vodkas. So we, we do have some stuff in the works, but it all falls under the same principle of, you know, we're really looking to source sort of Australian ingredients as much as we can, uh, and use those to to hero the, the product without removing or at least utilising the the base grain flavour profile in the vodka. Um, and I and I think you know it's. It's interesting, but we don't get a lot of um, a lot of flavor. I mean, we don't necessarily release everything, but we don't get a lot of, a lot of flavor profiles that don't work uh, using that methodology. Um, so, I mean, one would think you know you'd come up with something. I mean, we did even when we did the the teas, we did six uh, variants, and I thought you know one maybe would come through. Uh, all six came through really well, and uh, and we decided on the two that we went for. One is because I was obsessed with an old cocktail called the Lemon Drop, um, which tastes like the old Lemon Drop board lolly, uh, hence yep. Lemon came to life. Uh, and 23 is, was very gin-esque. Uh, it, it crosses over uh, a path and you know, gin lovers come and drink it and they're kind of quite confused because it's not a gin, it's a vodka. Um, but it, it's interesting into the market. And for me, I mean, I'm not a big gin fan. Uh, I don't drink a lot of gin, uh, but I do like 23. It's sort of a little bit more mild in terms of it. It's not quite that medicinal flavor profile that people seem to like, um, but, it, but it works well. So it's something I can get behind, uh, which is which is really good. Uh, importantly, you know, we're, we're only gonna release things and products that we really like, um, which is why, you know, at the moment we only have uh, whiskey and vodka. Um, you know, I mean, back in the, in the 90s, I was a cocktail bartender, you know, loved mixing it up like Tom Cruise, we all thought we were. Um, but it, but it was vodkas that I was interested in. And back then, I, I actually didn't like whiskey. Uh, I had whiskey for the first time when I was 18, and it was horrible. It was a, a horrendous experience. And it wasn't until I was 28 that I drank it again, because every time someone said to me, do you want it? All I did was remember this horrible stuff that they gave me when I was 18. It was all, well, what was it? Yeah, well, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to publicly shame anyone, but it was uh, cheap Scottish uh, rubbish that was very smoky and peaty. So you can guess where it sits. Um, it, it, yeah, it wasn't. I did. I really didn't like it at all. Uh, one of the things we used to do at the end when we closed the club was we would have a, a, a Guinness, a cigar, and a and a, and a whiskey. Uh, and first time I did it, they gave me the whiskey and I drank it. So I was, this is yuck. No, thank you. Um, but then yeah, when I, when I was old, I was twenty eight, started drinking whiskey again, and obviously the flavour profile started to change. It wasn't all about this. Overly, and it sounds a bit thing, but it wasn't this overly masculine, heavily peaty, smoky uh, flavor profiles. These other flavor profiles were coming in, which were becoming quite interesting. Um, and, and I sort of started to get into it. And then, you know, with work, I was lucky enough to work at a place that um, we had access to to everything, uh, and we were we were able to drink not only our own products but the competitors' products. Um, and I sort of got quite quite into it and clearly obviously got too excited about whiskey one day um hence the uh, hence the distillery but um yeah in terms of other stuff coming out i mean i don't want to count out of the bags because 
course. It's all that. But, but really, it's the, the, the key thing is working on them, is making sure that we are, we are using the Australian products and, and we're really going down that angle, you know, putting hand on heart, saying this is, this is what's in it. You know, we call everything out um, for that part. So I think that's an important part of the, the, the Australian scene is doing that. And what I find is that the, the, the bartenders and, and that really like it and appreciate it. You know, they, yeah. they do that. But, and the other part too is when I create a product and we release it, we need it to be consistent. Um, you know, we're not, you know, in the craft industry where we're not set up with labs, um, you know, we're not uh, measuring stuff to the same way that they are in the larger businesses. So you're really relying on this consistency of this raw product to, to help you create consistency of the final product. I mean, yes, you taste it along the way and you check it and you do these things and, and it's great. Um, but, you know, even I know, you know, to a day, I mean, if I've got hay fever, um, it affects my palate. You know, if you've eaten chilies the night before, it affects your palate. So being able to rely on, on suppliers that are giving us these really consistent products means that we know the formula that comes through is going to deliver uh, a really consistent outcome. And so far, what we've found is that it does, and it does it really well. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So, no, I'm not, I'm not going to share what crafty. No. <laughs> no. What, what was your first recollection of an Australian spirit that you tasted? An Australian spirit that I tasted? Yeah. What can you think of? God. Oh, uh, I've, I've slowed them down, people. I've slowed them down. When, to, to be honest, when it was actually highlighted that it was was an Australian, well, illegal or illegal? <laughs> no, no, let's, let's stick with legal. Let's go with legal. Um, we're getting monitored here, so let's do yeah. just illegal. No, look, we all have a relationship with the APO. We all like to keep that relationship sound, please. <laughs> oh, it wasn't me making it. I didn't make it. So. Uh, no, yeah, look, I mean, probably when we started doing whiskey tastings um, and we were doing competitive sets, and that's yeah. really out that this this was um, these, these were Australian. I mean, in terms of white spirits and gins and things, I mean that that started after it, um, so they they weren't as uh, out there um, then. So really, it was it was while doing a, a whiskey competitive set tasting, and and it was whiskies from New Zealand, uh, New Zealand from Tasmania, sorry, um, that we were tasting. Um, and, and we were going through. And that was sort of the first, probably the first time it was a standout moment to say that, yes, this is actually uh, an Australian-made spirit. Yeah. Um, for me, it wasn't so much with the whiskey about being necessarily Australian in terms of opening up and, and getting into it. It was more just that there started to be these other profiles in terms of the flavours that were there that I found to be just more friendly um, to, to get into and, and taste. And I know yeah. when I certain things, you know, because I'm, I'm not really into Smoky Petey. Um, there are always people there trying to convince me that Smoky Petey is the way to go. Uh, I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do like it. And I think then, you know, with the Australian and, and us having looser rules or, or more appropriate rules, I should say, around the production of whiskey and being able to use different barrels to finish, um, you know, whether it's port, sherry, you know, PX, Pinot, bourbon whatever um it it then allows that to sort of grow and i think there's there's becoming um you know a a more predominant feel in terms of what australian spirit is and what australian whiskey is 
And I think that's a great thing. Um, you know, we, you don't have to be an expert to enjoy Australian whisky. Uh, you don't have to be an expert to start to tell the differences in Australian whisky. Um, you know, we're, we're not sitting our Wesset, um, you know, wine course and trying to tell if something's from a certain region of France. Yeah. You know, it's really just about being able to describe those flavours. And I think because there are such robust variances in those flavours, you yep. know, everyone get on board with starting to talk about it. And I mean, you know, hand up and I'm an absolute whiskey tosser. Um, I can't help it. I love it. But, you know, it, it's fun. You know, I've got friends now who drink whiskey very differently because of drinking whiskey with me and talking about it. And then they start to enjoy it. And then they go to a bar like Baxter's and rather than just pointing at something because it's in a pretty bottle, you know, they'll say to the bartender, I want something that is. And then they sort of give this description of what they're looking for because they know they enjoy that. Uh, and then they sort of have this five minute banter with the bartender about, about the whiskey that they chuff off and find. And I mean, that, that place is amazing. They do seem to come back magically with exactly what you described. I don't quite know how they remember them all. Um, but, I, I, but I think it's really cool, you know, and, and it makes it far more accessible for people because you, you, you do have these variances that are able to be described and it's fun. Like it's yeah. fun to do. Look, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think um, you, you said accessibility, and I, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a big part of, of what we do and, and how we operate. We're, we're accessible, and um, there is a lot of variation out there on the Australian landscape, and it's, it's great to just get out there and, and, and explore and try different flavour profiles. And, and, yeah, you don't have to be an expert at whisky to enjoy Australian whisky, just have fun with it it's you know you find most australian distillers that i know they're they're approachable people they'll they'll tell the story about what they're what they're doing and that just reinforces that connection and that and that craft and uh, I, th I think we're at really in an exciting time i really do yeah that's good yeah Todd. We got any questions, mate, or have we lost our complete audience? I uh, know the, the audience is, is pretty stable, but no it's, questions. No they're questions. Enjoying, they're enjoying the, the Anthony's just moved to the couch or something. So, yeah, so just what, what's the shirt, last, mate? what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Is it Australian? It's got to be Australian if you're here. Oh, come on. Show us, show us your glass. <laughs> He's shy. But hopefully everyone who's on tonight is drinking an Australian whiskey. Shandy, what are you what are you drinking, mate? What is it? I can't see that. It's black bottle. It's well, what is it? I don't know. We're, I've lost them. Where is he? He ran away with his bottle, dude. He's, he's, he's gotten shy and left. Isn't it Kempton? Shandy, uh, the Glenlivet Cipher. Oh, get that! Oh, actually. <laughs> okay, we might make an exception. <laughs> yeah. That is good. intriguing, one, I must say. Uh, and just on that point, um, we bang on about Australian spirits and, and uh, Australian whiskies and, and, and all that. We are not in any shape or form anti uh, what's going on in Scotland, America, Japan, Taiwan, India, whatever. There, there is some exciting product, Ireland, there's some exciting products all over the place. Oh, yeah. and, um, one I'm, I'm particularly excited about 
is Waterford. Um, you talk about Terroir, you talk about Providence. Uh, these, go these guys are growing barley in specific farms and uh, basically milling and mashing dedicated whiskey tied back to the farm and showing the different expressions. Um, and it's they're only just released, but oh my God, they're taking the world by storm and I cannot wait until we can get a bottle of that on our shores and taste it, enjoy it. So yeah, where's Ed? I've lost Ed. So Ed, um, if you were just starting again, mate, where are you? Yeah. Yeah, if you were just starting all over again, right from the scratch, right? And you know what you know now, what would you do? What would be the three key things you would do differently? I'd skip seven years of learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'd do that three times. <laughs> Look, I, I don't think you can. I think um, I, I, we, we talked about this and you know, so we're, we're, we're coming towards the end. The, um, I, I saw an interview with Dave Grohl and uh, he, he was talking about kids on these talent shows and yep. you know, he's watched um, you know, some 10 year old get up and perform something perfectly, plays a guitar, piano, drums all at the same time. Right. They're amazing. Right. And, and he said, he doesn't get it. He said, you know, you, you should, when you learn an instrument, you should suck at playing an instrument and you should play with your friends and you should suck and you should be in a band and you shouldn't be very good. And then you should get a, a gig at a bar and you should play and, and eventually one day after doing this continuously and sucking for quite a long time, you eventually become really good at it. And, and it really is that apprenticeship of it, that this expectation that you magically come out and can produce something that, that is amazing straight away is, is unrealistic. And, and I don't think there, any, there is anything you really can change. I mean, yeah, there might be some things with equipment or whatever that I, that I would change, but, you know, my, my learnings taught me how to make really good product um, because of my failures and and if you take those away then you're not going to have that good product and you're not going to have that understanding and, and I think that's important for everyone to remember I mean I get phone calls as you do from people wanting to become distillers and they're talking about stuff and they're trying to get past certain bits but you can't you can't no. get past those things you've got to find your own yeah you, you have to suck and then you can get good at it and and I think that's important to remember and I think it's important to remember for people who are you know, buying Australian spirits is that the person you bought it off spent a lot of time not very good at it and then suddenly one day figured it out and uh, and, and that's the passion of it. And that's the difference between, you know, guys like, like us um, and and corporates that really are just pushing it to a formula. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I agree. I, I My philosophy was um, I started, you know, I learnt, you know, I read a lot, did a lot of, research on the internet, did a couple of courses, did a Tassie course, did a, a UK correspondence course, um, then did the IBD certificate in distilling. So I built the fundamental knowledge base. Uh, at the same time, I surrounded myself with really good people in the industry uh, who are great friends of mine and, and mentors. Um, to this day, you know, I pick up the phone, talk to them all, all the time. Um, and a lot of them said, mate, you got to find your own way. We'll, we'll help you or we can. We'll share our mistakes and we'll share our learnings. 
but you do have to find your own way and you do it's it's so important you know you make mistakes uh, i get called turkey brain uh, by a certain distiller mate of mine because some of the things i come up with what annoys me that's um, such a good name by the way turkey brain i get called turkey brain yeah <laughs> No, my name's Crafty. Don't call me Turkey Brain, mate. No, no, no. <laughs> so what really annoys me is I get phone calls now, and you probably get them too, Ed. You get people that ring you up and go, hi, I'm a wannabe distiller. Um, I want to come and spend uh, some time with you. I want you to teach me everything you know. Uh, then I'm going to go away, and I'm going to make my distillery and happy days. And you go, first of all, who are you? I don't know you from a bar of soap. You haven't tried to form any sort of relationship. You've just jumped from, I think you can help me with learning. I will extract as much information as I can from you. And then I will do my thing. There's no relationship. There's no, there's no sharing There's And, and a lot of this industry has been built on relationship building and sharing of information. So I'm starting to see more people coming into the industry that are not like that, that, that are just thinking they can just, take extract information from someone without actually contributing without actually going the hard yards so mm. that's just my opinion ed what do you so ed are you still online looks looks like we've lost ed yeah oh, you, oh, no, he's, he's still there somewhere we've just lost his video for some reason uh, no, it's, we've lost him entirely. You know, it obviously had enough. We hit the hour and a half. Crafty, you on mute, Crafty? Nah, bugger it. <laughs> yeah, Crafty, you're on mute. I'm on. There you are. Now you're back. <laughs> now we've lost him. And look, this is what we were dealing with at the very beginning before we went live as well. Craft, oh, no, no, I haven't touched don't, it. Stop touching it. I'm not touching it. it, went, um, it went, <laughs> you're, you're touching something. Uh, okay, you watch what happens. I'll go mute. Anyway. Okay, so so while Ed's away. Did anyone hear my mute? Um, my rant? No. Thankfully. Shall I start my rant again? No, please don't. Okay, no, fair we, enough. <laughs> so, so a question to you while we're waiting for Ed to possibly pop up again. Go for it. Okay. And so do you think cuts are important? And if so, what, what, what are your cuts? Oh, that's got to be a Shandy question, is it? Paul Shand? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fellow distiller. He's trying to extract me for information. No, he's a good mate of mine. Um, Shandy, I cut... Um, First cut, 75, second cut, 60. So I, I've got a very wide cut. Um, I'm a big believer in, in extracting those fruity flavors and those heavier flavors at the end. Uh, my spirit is quite a, a robust spirit. It's built on a mash bill, which was originally a stout recipe. So I've, I've got big complexity that way. So for me, a, 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 a tight cut doesn't work. I'm not about um, just getting a... You know, a really, really clean, fruity spirit. I'm, I started like that. Whether it was the right call or not, we'll know. But uh, I've been doing it now for 
pardon me, about three years and, uh, yeah, pretty happy. Sandy, what's your cuts, mate? Anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> Looks like we lost Ed still. Yeah, Ed is disappeared, so possibly that might be the night. Well, just to finish can off. You, for can those... you hear me, Crafty? Yeah, I can hear you, Sandy. Okay. Uh, I, I, I started off uh, initially going from 75 to 65. Yeah, right. Uh, wow. I'm now going from probably minimizing my heads. So I'll start anything between 76, 77. Yeah. And as time goes on, going a bit lower. So probably down to about 63, 64. Yeah, okay. That's a pretty wide cut, mate. It is. So I'm... I'm Learning from your ex from your experience and from the quality of your spirit, Crafty. Yeah. I talked to Bill Lark about this cuts a few years ago, and he said, "Mate, that's quite a wide cut." And I went, "Yeah," but he tasted some stuff and gave me the thumbs up, so I felt I felt good. So, um, okay, since we lost um, Ed, I'll um, I'll just finish up because I think we're winding up now, um, and I'll just say something about um, Project Ian in case people know about Project Ian. So well, Project Ian now actually whilst Ed's not here. So he's not here? Bit of anything. All right. So okay. So my first release has a certain name and it'll be revealed on the twenty fourth of November. And anyway, I did a post uh, about three months ago of the proposed label and I blurred it all out so you couldn't actually work out what it was. So it was a bit of a teaser. So then I get a phone call from Ed and he goes, so who the fuck's Ian? And I go, what? And he goes, who the fuck's Ian? And I go, what do you mean? And he said, I've looked at your photo. I've blown it up. I can clearly see you've got Ian written on the bottle. And, I, and in my head, when I just started laughing, it was hilarious to me. So I said, oh, mate, mate, I, uh, I can't tell you. Sorry, I've got to go. I'm, I'm, I've got to run. So I ran. Then a week later, he rings me up and he goes, who's Ian? Tell me who's Ian. So for the last three months, I have been taunting Ed with Ian. So my first release, the bottle name is Project Ian until I release it on the 24th of November. And I've been taking a series of videos of different people uh, who are drinking Project Ian and maybe Ian, maybe not Ian. So Ian may be a person, may not be a person. So yeah. all will be revealed. So yep. it's the it's the Monty Python taunt of Ed for the next <laughs> next month. So that's the story. So anyway, he missed all that. So, so we'll we'll wind it up now, guys. Um, all those that uh, chimed in, thank you. I uh, hope you're drinking Australian craft spirits. I hope you're drinking and trying different ones and experimenting. There's some great products out there. Um, this is episode one. There's going to be quite a few more. I've got about 30 Australian distillers lined up to do this. And uh, beyond that, I've got a lot of other, other people to talk to and some internationals as well. So I think we've got enough content for 2020, 2021 and, and beyond. And we'll see how we go with this. Uh, yeah. This will go up on YouTube. We're going to have a YouTube channel. We'll keep adding to it. Uh, we hope to build a bit of a following. The idea is we're telling our stories, we're getting behind the brands, you're meeting the people, 
and ask the questions. Um, you know, we'll we'll ask answer the questions what we can. Uh, Shandy asked about cuts. Freely talk about cuts. Uh, Ed won't talk about his yeast profile, so don't worry about that one. So, guys, this is Crafty in the shed. I am distilling, and I got a big brew to clean up tomorrow morning. So, I'm signing out. Um, just, just hang on, Crafty. Just stay on. Hang hang on till the end. Thanks, thanks, guys, for oh, a great yeah. night. Yep, yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, and we'll see you around, eh? Cheers from Crafty. Yeah. Cheers. See see you next time. Cheers, boys. All the best. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye -bye. All the best. Yep. Well Thank you. How long do we talk for? Hang on. What happened to Ed? He just popped off. Um, we stopped recording now. Yeah.